Hello, you beautiful people. We are back with our human experience. And today we had the pleasure of bringing on our friend, Kathy Turiano. Kathy owns Joe Bean Roasters, a local coffee roasting company here in Rochester, New York. Uh, she was our neighbor for about a year, a little over that. And we fostered a really great relationship with her. Amazing, delicious coffee. And we had some really great conversations with her about intentionally choosing a more challenging path. And I really hope you guys enjoy this. It was a blast chatting with her. Sit back, open up, and give a listen to our conversation with Kathy Turiano from Joe Bean Roasters. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Our Human Experience. Today, we have the pleasure of sitting with Kathy uh, Turiano. Did I say that correctly? Kathy Turiano. Uh, Kathy is the co-founder and director of marketing and business development for Joe Bean Roasters, a wonderful coffee company here in Rochester, New York. We were Kathy's neighbors for about a year. Um, I went over and bothered her quite a bit. And bought, <laughs> sometimes bought coffee, but mostly just distracted her from work and chatted with her for a while. And uh, she's been as kind as to come out and sit on our show today and, and chat with Melissa and I. So we're going to talk about a lot of different interesting things. And, and as you guys know, we tend to wander based on the topics that are brought up and, and different ideas that pop into our minds. So um, sit back and enjoy. But before we get rolling too far. Kathy, give us a little background, a little bio about yourself, um, where you came from, how you got going with Joe Bean Roasters, and, and how you've gotten basically to where you are today. Oh boy. Um, okay, I'll keep it brief. <laughs> uh, it's a, been a long kind of winding journey, um, but I um, did not start out in coffee. I've been in coffee for about 15 years. Um, I actually was a systems programmer uh, for a season of my life, um, and then uh, my husband's business uh, started getting busier and busier, and he has an advertising agency, and so I, I sort of laid down that path of my life and came into the family business uh, with him and was doing advertising and uh, helping to grow um, his company alongside of him for a number of years, um, kind of when my, my kids were younger. So fast forward, I thought that was the lane I was going to be in. And um, we had been, my husband and I had actually been volunteering uh, with some youth. Uh, we were working with junior high students and high school students and, and high school students that grew into college students and then college students that became young adults. It just kept getting larger and larger, the group that we were working with. And um, I always sort of tell people that I wasn't a particularly good like youth back in my day. <laughs> and so I really wasn't quite sure when they, our congregation asked us to do this, I didn't know what to really do with them. Um, so what we came up with doing was feeding them. <laughs> I thought, well, we know how to feed them. So we would invite them to our house and we would feed them um, primarily on Friday nights. And that just grew. And we realized that there were a lot of young people that just needed a place to talk and to be fed. And so that was sort of the birth and the inspiration of Joe Bean. Uh, was to take what was happening in our home 
and move it out into the community and widen it and just be a place, um, just be a safe place, um, be a place where young people could come and just be and um, be nurtured and cared for. And so out of that um, really kind of grew an understanding of not just that aspect of the business, but we started moving further and further into how do you take that warm and wonderful concept and actually make money out of it, <laughs> uh, which was, uh, you know, you can have a warm and wonderful idea, but we didn't make a dime um, for years. And we started realizing how to be competitive in coffee. And um, that had to do with quality. Um, it had to do with sourcing. It had to really do with how to become experts in coffee, first and foremost, so that we could do some of the other things that were on our heart. And so we had to flip it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you want to be warm and wonderful, but you actually have to survive. So um, getting into uh, coffee roasting was one of our first steps. Um, my son eventually came on board to our team, and um, he really was the catalyst to begin to get us at the farm level, um, really working with farming families and farming communities and sourcing very, very differently, um, which then kind of immersed us into our desire and our love for coffee. <laughs> um, fast forward, we moved um, into the city in 2011. Uh, at that time, um, there was not really a lot of third, what I would call third wave coffee bars um, in the area. Actually, there were none. <laughs> uh, so we were it. Um, so we launched a very different concept in 2011. Uh, we brought uh, a real dialogue about coffee and coffee farmers. Um, we started talking about origin. We showcased coffee in a variety of ways. As you guys remember, I'm sure we were mm -hmm. pouring and brewing and doing all this wild mm -hmm. stuff. And um, I and more than that, I think that we were building a community um, of young people who were not just invested into loving coffee, but were also invested into Rochester and were invested into seeing Rochester grow and develop. And so much launched out of uh, that, you know, sort of season. Um, we launched the Parklet and <laughs> uh, we launched a lot of uh, community activities together and um, just really this sense of like, we want to see Rochester, you know, prosper. So um, right now, when we were neighbors with you guys, we had moved a couple years ago and uh, we sort of embraced more of the roasting end of our business uh, because it's been growing and our, our company's been changing as we've sort of moved forward. So uh, right now we're roasting in the Witten Road neighborhood and uh, we have a small espresso bar, but we're primarily online and doing coffee subscriptions and kind of growing that whole avenue of the company. So, boy, I guess that wasn't short. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, That was probably longer. Uh, yeah. No, it no. It covered 15 years. Right? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was a short 15 years. Yeah, um, <laughs> sorry. It's, no, no, no apologies necessary. It's, we need that context. And I find myself doing the same thing and, and beating myself up when, Someone's like, well, what's the 30-second elevator pitch? Well, yeah. there's a lot that goes into that. And there's yeah. value in developing that for certain right. you know, aspects. But I think for this, we need to understand some of that backstory. Because those are a lot of things that like, that I didn't know. Right. And I didn't recognize. I mean, we moved back here from California in 2011. Oh. Um, and I'm trying to remember the first time that we went to Joe Bean over on probably, at your university we were probably location. at a CrossFit event at P2. 
mm-hmm. and then walked, and walked down, over. Yeah, and walked down and, the street. So I, I don't know when that was, but it was. Yeah. It was probably. I mean, because we lived in the city, but it was closer to like Park Ave and stuff. So yeah. We wouldn't have wandered that way. Wandered that yeah. way, but but it's interesting that I, it just struck me the the evolution that went from feeding young people. <laughs> If you were to just say, well, we started doing this, and now we make coffee, that would have been a weird thing without the in-between in to, to right. kind of explain to how you got there. Um, and I do remember you guys, you served food at the location on university for a while, um, and then shifted everything over to, to coffee for the most part, other than, I know you guys highlight some prior to last year, and we'll get into that, highlighting some, you know, local pastry makers and things like that that you had, you had some snacks and things in in your space, but it was primarily coffee um, at the bar and then, you know, roasting and and that sort of thing. Um, So there's actually a lot that I'm really, that I'm interested in and... Well, it is the human experience. It is, it is. Um, Like, selfishly and personally, I'm, I'm very curious how you define... Um, not growing up, like not the best youth or however you, you, you categorize that. I'm always curious because I would say that's, uh, I have a very similar experience, but I think that we all categorize what exactly that looks like a little bit differently. If you're open to it, what, uh, Oh boy. What I thought about, we weren't going to cover something. Hey, I mean, you can be as, as vulnerable as you'd like or keep whatever you need to, to yourself. So sure. I'm just a little bit curious. Sure. Um, so, you know, I think there's kind of the obvious things, you know, that, um, let's, the drinking age was 18 when mm. I was in high school. So that made things uh, much more accessible, um, than probably should have been, you know, at a much younger age. So we uh, did a lot, you know, when it came to, you know, enjoyment yeah. <laughs> out there. Um, but I, I guess I think more than that, as I started to kind of get to know young people when I was an adult and, you know, sort of embrace them, I really marveled at the fact that they thought um, globally. <laughs> um, they actually thought about other people's lives. They they thought about doing good in the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know that I did any of that. Like, I really didn't. You know, I, I think I thought about me <laughs> and, yeah. you know, what I wanted to do and, and you know, what, what we were going to do next weekend. <laughs> and it just never occurred to me to think kind of beyond my own micro world. And so I don't know that I had a lot of maturity. Like, I, I really do meet a lot of young people that I look at and think, how can you be, you know, 19 or 20 and have so much maturity, <laughs> you know, at that age? And I'm very impressed um, with this next generation. I know a lot of people criticize, you know, younger generations. I do not. <laughs> um, I think they are impressive. I, I think that they've navigated some really difficult things. And I think that they are leading the way in in this concept of taking care of your neighbor and, you know, really loving and being kind and ensuring that there is a human <laughs> experience out there that is different than, you know, in many ways, sort of what I grew up thinking about at that age. So, yeah, um, that's, it's, it's really interesting. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I've ever given that a tremendous amount of, of thought. I wonder how much of that is due to, just technology and the the world getting smaller sure. as time has gone by and the ability to just be more aware, uh, it has to play a role. Right. Uh, 
I would say that I was very much the same. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I had any real benevolent thoughts when I was younger. Um, and it's always interesting to me to see people's evolution. And I know we've talked about it many times on the show, Melissa and I, about, you know, who I was as, as a kid, as a teenager, you know, when we first met as, as a young adult compared mm-hmm. to now, drastically, drastically different human beings. Um, you know, Melissa and I started dating a little over 18 years ago and that's, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine, I don't know, you can speak to this, but I feel like I'm an unrecognizable person huh. compared to that time. Like just not even, I don't, I don't know where it is. So there, there were little glimmers, I think of what you are now or who you are now. It was in there. I don't, but much different. Yeah, I agree. I think that was probably a lot of the turmoil that, that I had when I was younger, um, was I was acting in a way that was out of alignment with ultimately who, you know, who I was. We were talking about time management and kind of how that just, there's there's natural tendencies that people have. And I think that there really is some, uh, there's some truth to that in all areas that we have this authentic representation of ourselves. And sometimes that fits in with what's around us. And sometimes it's the polar opposite. And as a result of that, sometimes we suppress it. Sometimes we lean into it and we're weird or like whatever the thing may be. Right. Um, I certainly think that who I've worked to become is ultimately who I was before and just covered it up with a lot of, you know, in my case, drugs, alcohol, violence, all sorts of stuff that I like that I partook in when I was younger, um, which is always interesting to watch those journeys. So I was curious, you know, how you... I kind of evolved out of that, but that recognizing that our world was smaller, mm. I think when we were younger, just access to information and really you're limited geographically to what you see and who you know and those sort of things. And young people today are not, they're not as limited as, as we were growing up. Um, and I think it's a really valid point that you brought up. A lot of people do trash younger generations. And I think that's just always been the case right always. you know Elvis <laughs> Presley came out and they're like look at the kids shaking their hips you know right. and like there's always something that the the older generation is looking to and it's important to remember each generation has their strengths their weaknesses the challenges that are different than the previous one I mean you know you were talking about your granddaughter before we got started recording we have two young daughters and we talk about it all the time the impending challenges of raising a human being in the age of social media and just constant connection to everything and everyone Mm -hmm. everywhere at any given time it's something that we didn't have to contend with growing up I have no idea what it's like to be 10 and have been on Instagram for seven years because your parents started an account for you when you were three you know like there's just there's things that are just so foreign to adults right now to be able to help young people navigate and manage it's it's just different and it can be frustrating to see people who lack certain skills when they're young or whatever the thing is that you feel like they're they're um, weak on or incapable of doing but we also don't necessarily really understand how to help them in, in a lot of ways because they're facing new and different challenges that we just didn't have I think what you talked about with just simply bringing people together 
I'm a firm believer that that connection with other human beings, learning from each other, being around people that both share some of your opinions and people that are that have very different opinions. It's so critical. It's yeah. it's valuable. It, it creates understanding and empathy. And I think it's one of the things that, generally speaking, we lack a lot of in in our culture. Right. Um, you know, and, and there's certain aspects or certain places that you can create those little those bubbles where people from different walks of life and different ideologies and paths and experiences can come together. And it's cool that you guys that this kind of started with that concept in mind. And right. I, I don't know that I ever really knew that. Well, if I can um, sort of point back to um, some of our history uh, just a little bit to kind of bring some of what you're talking about in into the into the history of what Jobine has done. Um, I, I remember I actually gave a TED talk on this. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I did about, um, it was called partnering with and releasing the next generation. And it was, um, our story and it was sort of woven into, um, the philosophies and some of the things that we learned about doing, doing our business along the way and how to, um, work with young people. And so, uh, when I guess when we first started out, my sort of whole thing was to serve, you know, was to kind of serve young people. And to be honest, um, it was great and amazing. And um, there was a lot of things that were really good about it. But it was not, it didn't draw them in the way that I thought it was going to. Um, mm. They liked it and have warm and fuzzy memories about it. Um, but overall, it kind of exhausted my partner Dina and I at the time and I didn't really see a lot of you know fruit from that and so and even financial fruit so when we made our changes and we kind of moved into the city and you know recreated our model at that stage of history uh, Ben was actually coming into the company and he brought with him um, just very fresh and new ways for me to think and to look and I began to recognize that partnering with the next generation is different than serving the next generation <laughs> yeah. and um, partnering with them is motivational it's releasing and it launches and what really happened when we moved into the city was that I created a team um, that would kind of tell me things that I wasn't looking at I was like this is how this should be we should do this in business this way and then they would come back to me and say well actually that doesn't speak to us <laughs> you know mm -hmm. this speaks to us and many times it was hard for me to hear because I was like no you're wrong <laughs> I'm right you're wrong you know I'm older <laughs> you know but it the more I allowed what was in them to kind of bubble up and come onto the table, no, not everything, you don't embrace everything, but the more I sort of let them come out and show me what I didn't know and, and maybe ways that I was thinking that were old, you know, and not relevant, you know, to that, mm -hmm. um, the more it, that generation kind of came into our business and supported our business, which you know, we talk about odd generation, but I am a firm believer that if you can reach youth, you can reach broader than that. <laughs> um, so that that's a key demographic to um, a friend of mine put it a really great way. She said, Kathy, you need to build a business um, that makes older people feel young <laughs> and younger people feel more mature. <laughs> I and like, I thought, I yeah, this really is great. so accurate. Like, you know, the, the 50 plus year olds would come into the coffee bar and feel 
hip, you know, yeah. and great and feel revived and a part of this movement that was happening in the city. And they loved it, you know. Yeah. Um, they didn't want to just go to the suburbs and hang out with the other 50-year-olds, you know. Yeah. They wanted to be somehow in the room with this. And, you know, one of the surprises that happened to us when we opened our uh, coffee bar in, in the city was that families would come and children would come. And, you know, I think sometimes people are afraid to bring children sometimes into those settings because they think they're going to misbehave or, you know, you have to have toys or you have to entertain them. But what we saw really quickly was that um, they would raise up to a new level and act more mature in the room, you know, because because we didn't have, you know, a toy room or a, yeah. you know, whatever. It's like. I literally saw five and six year olds, you know, sitting at the table enjoying, you know, coffee, so to speak, right? <laughs> with mom and dad or with their, you yeah. know, their aunt or their uncle. And I loved it. And I thought that's, that to me is groundbreaking because that to me is, you know, inclusive of, of a wider range. And it's how those very conversations that you're talking about ever take place. Like, how do cross generational conversations take place yeah. <laughs> you know where do they take place mm -hmm. you know around your home it you know family gatherings but they also have to take place outside of your home somewhere so that you're talking to people who maybe don't think exactly like you or have the exact same family experience yeah. or cultural experience that you have yeah or who carry you know some sort of weight to the relationship right you go to right. the the family gathering for a holiday or something like that it's like oh here's uncle johnny is a fucking <laughs> asshole like no matter you know and, and you already have this thing so you're not you're going into that conversation not ready to hear anything that johnny has to say meanwhile like you might have some really insightful things to to share with you he may have some experiences that would be really valuable for you to learn from but you're not going right. to because you kind of dismissed uncle yeah. johnny long ago yeah. <laughs> right i i love that i mean your your parents huh. talk about this a lot i was gonna bring them up yeah Yeah. i mean huh. I, I, I don't want to take the words out of no, your mouth but um so melissa's parents her youngest sister just recently moved out to to utah but prior to that had been basically living at home or within a very close proximal distance to uh, to her parents for quite some time and she welcomed her parents into a lot of the, the social things that she did and she had some friends that owned a microbrewery and some oh, friends that did various um, like photography jobs and print, like all this different stuff so her parents would often spend a lot of time with people who were you know, a couple decades younger than right. them. And our friends, too. I mean, even coming here. Correct. Yeah. yeah. When they come here, I mean, uh. Uh, her parents were invited to our friends' weddings and things like that that, that were up here. So right. um, I think it's a really, I think you're right that there's a limited number of places for people to really engage with people that are outside of their kind of bubble, right? right. And, and it gets fewer and fewer as we go through life. Right? When you're younger and you're in school and you can go into college or the military or whatever the thing is that you're going to do, and you may have more opportunities for, I guess for lack of a better term, like forced interaction with right. people that you would maybe not normally engage with. And once you get beyond that, where is it happening? Out, At work, yeah. maybe, depending on what your job is and, and you know who the other people that make up the rest of the staff mm. are. For a lot of people, that's especially after last year, 
they're not even getting that. They're not even right. engaging. I was going to say, work. you said bubble. That has a whole different <laughs> meaning. Now. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's so limited. And it, and when we owned um a, you know a group fitness facility, that that was one of the things that we found to be really beneficial, and it still is in in my opinion, and I'm assuming in yours as well for for group fitness is um uh, is the connection that people can make in there, and a lot of times connecting with people that again they would not maybe normally engage with in any other way and we'd have a lot of social gatherings where you had twenty two year old People hanging out, talking to uh, you know, fifty-five-year-old father who has a kid that's like three yeah. years younger than them, you know, <laughs> and you have these sort of really different interactions, and it was really great. I know personally when I started, when we were stepping into the role of parents, and I was going to be a father, I talked to a lot of the the mm. clients that we had at the gym who I looked at as really positive male role models and really good fathers. I talked to them about what they did as dads and how like how they fulfill that role because I didn't grow up with that. I had zero positive male influence in my life basically until I met Melissa's father. Hmm. Um, so, you know, the first 21 years of my life, I didn't have that. And, uh, and so it was really, it was interesting for us to have that environment, that community to connect dots like that. And, and I think, that what you have done with Joe Bean is very similar in that way. And it's really cool that you've been able to, to witness that. Well, I think too, you know, we've talked about it before where people were able to do that in our gym facility because mm. they automatically kind of had something in common, mm. right? They all were doing, at least coming to the gym and doing that. So it was like a nice icebreaker, similarly to a coffee shop where like, right. if you're here and I'm here, we must both... Right, appreciate this. Yeah, right, right. Mm -hmm. Like we can say, isn't this delicious? And it's right. just an easy. Have you tried the new blend? Right, right. It's something. Yeah, it's an easy exactly. icebreaker for people to kind of just do that, and it's really cool that you've kind of created that space for people to do that. Yeah, I love it. Um, so you mentioned that you guys, and I know you've said this to me before, that you guys were kind of the the first third wave. You call it right, coffee makers in the in the so area. So many titles in coffee, but yeah, I guess we would so probably use that. for the un, for the uninitiated. <laughs> What does that mean? Because the first time I that you said that to me, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Right. <laughs> You're a what? <laughs> I'm like, right. what, what was the first and second wave? Right. I think what? I asked Ben that one time. Like, I went and he explained the the whole thing to me. But um, for anyone listening that's not that doesn't know exactly what you're talking about, what does that mean? How do you guys actually do coffee differently when it comes to someone coming into your shop and, and getting a cup? Sure. Um, well, to be honest, uh, you know, right now, I mean, COVID really changed a lot of stuff with us. Yeah. So. Um, we don't have as much interactions in our space. Um, we do still have an espresso bar and we do still dialogue um, at our space, but you know, the world yeah. shifted a bit. Um, but we have tried to take a number of things that we did, you know, physically in our space and move them kind of through our emails and um, begin to talk to people through social media and, you know, different ways. Um, but, you know, as far as answering your question, um, so First, there's, we're probably, I think we're on fourth wave by now. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what fourth wave is, but um, first wave is kind of like coffee that maybe your parents or grandparents, you know, think of as coffee, you know, that um, you think of that more commercial kind of coffee, Five coffee is Folgers, yes, yeah. Folgers, or um, I don't know who is the guy in Columbia, Maxwell House <laughs> you know, Juan and, yeah. Valdez, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, just coffee is coffee. 
you know, it's just a thing you wake up with in the morning and, you know, you put a lot of cream and sugar into it because it doesn't really taste good. But when you grow up, you learn to like it, yeah. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's a necessary thing, right? This was sort of the concept of coffee. So along comes um, Starbucks and uh, sort of that wave of new roasters and new um, third wave, they call our, uh, sorry, um, third place gathering concept, yeah. um, which is it's not your house. It's not your work. It's somewhere else that you feel connected. Mm -hmm. um, this is a very common term, third place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Starbucks really was the big advocate for that, um, as well as what Starbucks began to do was elevate uh, coffee and really dive into what they call specialty coffee. So they would buy um, higher uh, quality um, actual beans, right? And they started um, highlighting where coffee came from, that it wasn't just this generic world of coffee, but that it actually came from places, it came from farmers, there are, you know, connections there on the ground. And then they started elevating the experience for you to go to the coffee place so that you felt more connected when you were there. Yeah. <laughs> so it started to feel more like, you know, comfy couches and you could read and you could meet your friend and it was a whole experiential thing. Um, now enter in, as that sort of evolving, uh, started evolving, now enter in roasters. And this is really a big part of third wave coffee. So what happened was um, roasters started going down to origin, started going down to farms. You understand that this was not a, this was not happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, big buyers would go to farms, but like small micro roasters were not going to the farm level. Um, big, uh, you know, sort of breakthrough uh, roasters like Stumptown and you know Verve and you know some of these names that we hear out there. Um, their whole thing was to learn the names of their farmers to go down and to start to buy consistently from these farmers. So that started changing whole cycles for small family run farms, poverty cycles. <laughs> like if they could only produce X number of crop and they had to sell it in a, in a more commercial way, they literally were never going to be able to be profitable. Like it was an impossibility. So, you know, it was, it was like the carrot that you were always chasing and never able to get. Yeah. So being able to direct trade, cut out some of the middlemen, being able to have roasters come down to origin, meet, directly negotiate pricing. If you, you know, grow this level of quality, I'll pay this for it. And then I'll charge my customers this much money for it. It was very much a business deal. It took it out of this commodity and it became more business you know, business one-to-one. -one. Um, not only that, but probably across the board, most farmers, most of those micro farmers that we're talking about who did specialty coffee, never actually tasted their coffee. This was super common. They didn't drink it. They exported and, you know, sold off the, the crop and then didn't, you know, that you don't drink that. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Because that's your livelihood, you know? So, being able to, roasters would go down and cup, you know, and taste and then evaluate and sometimes even come up with better ideas for how to grow even better coffee that you could then charge more money for so that we could then sell it for more money and tell your story, by the way. We'll tell our customers who you are and what you are and what your family does and we'll engage them on this different level, you know. So bringing all of that um you know, when people think of third wave, they think that we're snobby and we just wanted to, you know, yeah. do like one cup at a time and, you know, really be kind of like, you know, you're going to wait 20 minutes for this just because I say so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it, but that wasn't it at all. It was trying to get people to appreciate 
the, the ordinary, to appreciate the thing that was like, coffee's just coffee. You know, I had so many people say, coffee's just coffee. I'm like, that's just like saying food's just food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, food yeah. isn't just food. It has farmers and it's beautiful and it has layers. And, you know, there's all different levels of quality out there. And there's farmers that you look at and you think, I just wrote an email this morning about one of our farmers for Earth Day. And this guy is meticulous, like just you would absolutely fall in love with him. I mean, he just is so caring to his plants. He's wiping them off, you know, yeah. <laughs> wiping leaves off. And, you know, and I'm like, that's why I love your coffee so much, <laughs> you know, because of all that you pour into it. And I appreciate that. And that's what we, you know, we're trying to, with Third Wave Coffee, bring to that experience so that while we're standing there brewing that one cup, we're talking to you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we're able to talk about the coffee and, and yeah. boy, this one really pops with some blueberry notes. See if you taste it. And, you know, most of us in sort of involved in that world of coffee all had an aha moment with coffee where we had been drinking whatever, whatever, whatever. And then one day came along some special coffee and we were like, what is this? Yeah. You know, oh my. Yeah, it's gosh. interesting. Like, I feel like, you know, being 36, like, I'm kind of in that middle area where, like, I grew up where my parents were just drinking sure. whatever. And even drinking, like, same thing with, like, beer. You know, right. like, my dad drank, you know, <laughs> beer Coors, very my, same, yeah, my, my dad drank Coors exactly. Light. And now, you know, I kind of am seeing both sides of it as I'm growing up and we're bringing that generation with us. Like now my dad appreciates really good coffee. Like they drink your coffee and exactly. you know, they, you know, they, <laughs> they drink much higher quality beer that are same, you know, concept. So it's, it's cool to kind of be in this middle. Like I'm seeing both sides of, of where it was. And then, you know, and I didn't like beer or coffee right. for a really long time because I wasn't <laughs> drinking the right kind. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So when we moved into the city in 2011, um, one of the ways that we kind of tried to differentiate ourselves in Rochester, um, was to ally ourselves with all other kinds of places that coffee didn't go. So beer was one of them. You know, you think back, you know, now it's so normal. People are like, oh, it's a coffee beer. I'm like, this is 2011. That was, yeah, it it was not normal, you know? Yeah. And coffee springing up at a craft brewery. Rock Brewing had just opened. They were the first urban craft brewer, really, in Rochester, I think, um, Rohrbach's, but, you know, was, yeah. but, you know, these guys were a little more micro. And so they had just sprung up. So we did a ton of collaborations with them. Um, we did collaborations with distilleries. We did it with wineries just to kind of show that mm -hmm. exactly like this new wave of appreciation for food and beverage could also include coffee. We can play at the table too. <laughs> you know, yeah. we have farmers too. And, you know, we have varying degrees of um, quality, <laughs> you know, that you can purchase. And we have varying degrees of skill mm -hmm. level, you know, that our roasters and our baristas uh, can acquire so you know i think that was a real revolution of the whole third wave is that coffee yeah. can play in the same world as beer and wine and good food yeah i yeah. mean 100 percent. And, and my mind immediately went to when you're talking about the connection with the actual growers and between them and you guys and the baristas and all the people that are playing a role in this it goes back to the original mission that, that you and your husband were on, which was <laughs> connecting people. You know, you right. were working with youth and you're seeing this ability to bring people together and bring bringing them together in these more 
direct and intimate ways. I think a lot of times people look at like the internet, it connects people. Kind of. Right. It kind of, kind of does. <laughs> right. <laughs> it can connect people if you use it appropriately. And it's also still really difficult to get the same thing. We try with this podcast to do as few Zoom interviews as possible because there's just a there's an energy that you get being in the room with someone. And you lose that through a screen. Agreed. You lose that through text. And having someone that physically encounters the farm, the farmer, their family, the process that, you know, they take the time to fly down and go do all these things and then come back and share that experience with the rest of the staff team. And then they share that with the client who's coming through the door. There's something intangible about that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to watch. We have a tendency to, to create, to, to want to find efficiency in our culture, in everything. Right. What's the fastest way to do this? <laughs> right. How can I get the most from the least effort sort of thing? And there's the certainly... drive-through model. Yeah, right. and there's certainly a time and place yeah. for that. Absolutely. And we're seeing in many, many different spaces a return back to process and a return to being passionate about the thing that you're doing, about knowing everything about what you're doing. I'm sure you, you go down and you meet those farmers. They can tell you any detail you want to know about the soil and when they plant and the best time to water it and how to fertilize, like all of these things because they are, they're an expert. And when you meet someone that, that has that level of expertise, connection, and passion to the thing they're doing, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It's so engaging that you become interested, even if it's something you care less about. Exactly, and it's yep. it's a beautiful thing. I, like I was thinking about the guy that we met at, um, years ago at John's uh, Christmas party. When you looked over, mm -hmm. we, we went went to a friend's Christmas party, and um, this uh, this guy and I were talking, and his wife stops Melissa, and they're looking across the room. She's like, "Do you want me to go get my husband and save him because he'll have your husband there?" The whole time. And she just looks at the girl and she's like, he's fine. <laughs> he's actively playing a role in, in, in what's going on right there. But the conversation, this guy did, um, he, I, I'm probably going to butcher this. He did something to create, uh, worked on like the, the electronics needed to make lights on top of like emergency vehicles and, and those sort of things. And then we were talking about that role and the impending photonics industries that were coming into Rochester and stuff. And he, I like asked him one or two questions about that and he just lit up and you could tell this he nerded out about it. So I'm, now I'm listening to like all these components that he's putting into very, if we have this, then we can do that. And I found myself super engaged. There was never a time in my life before that, that I was like, I'm really curious about police lights. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to know exactly how they're made, you know, right. or whatever it is. But you can, you can find that way to connect. And again, if I were to look at this, like just do a visual representation of this guy, and I'm like, I don't know if we have a lot in common. Like, he, right. just that, like, prejudgment. And we had this really great conversation. And I think you guys are you're finding ways to do that on not only a community level here in Rochester, but even on a global level with how you're working with people and, and actually implement some real change in the lives of the people involved. Like you said, I think right. a lot of people, you mentioned it 
before have this idea of like the warm fuzzy, like I want to do this thing. I want to help people. Right. Yes. And you can do that. And it's wonderful. And if it's your job, it's going to be hard and it's going to be exhausting at times. And you're going to have to be able to take care of your own needs. And that means you have to make it a profitable thing right. in order for you to pay your employees and yourself and to put money back in the business. And any time, it's, it just seems inevitable when people have this lofty goal of doing something that's beneficial to their community, to other people around them, that profitability and making the business run gets put on the back burner. I'm not here for the money. I mean, it's, it's incessant in the health and fitness industry, right? right. People that are ashamed to charge what they need to charge in order to make a fair living and in order to deliver a product or a service that is what they intend to deliver, right? And we just, those two things just get disconnected. So I think it's, it's so motivating to me to hear that you guys are, that you pay attention to both things. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes we, we look at it as they, they can't, they contradict each other and they can't be in the same room, right? You can't, have a success, financially successful business and do good things. Like, right. that's nonsense. But I believed that for a long time, you right. know, and I believed that about myself. And a lot of that was, you know, I grew up pretty poor and associated having money with like people who have money are assholes. Right. Well, I've met a lot of assholes who are broke too. <laughs> so that, that logic doesn't really land, right? Right. Whether or not you have money in your bank account does not dictate whether or not you're a good person. There's good and bad people on both sides of that line. That's right. And, and even more so, the, the more wealth and prosperity and stability that you can create with the business, the more positive impact you can have. You can work with more farmers. You can pull more of their families out of poverty. You can offer more careers and positions for people that work in there. You can offer more opportunities for people to connect and find joy in the product and service and in the, the experience that they find with it. And... I think we forget about that, and it's one of the things that uh, I'm really it really draws me to you guys and, and your company is that I I see both of those things happening, and it's really inspiring. I think it's it's great. Um, and one of my questions for today was going to be what kind of prompted <laughs> taking that step and and basically choosing to do the more difficult thing because inevitably it's harder to to operate your business the way that you're choosing to do it. You have to take yeah. some extra steps. You know, like just the simple fact of having to fly staff down, you right. know, <laughs> thousands of miles away to right. look at the coffee beans instead of just getting on, on the phone or a computer and ordering. Right. Right. And it, what was it that kind of pushed you guys to decide that this is the way it needs to be? And what have been some of the challenges around that? What have been uh, the, what value has that provided you? I know you kind of touched a little bit on those things already, sure. but if you can expand. Boy, on. that has a lot of parts to it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me see. So many years ago, um, when we were kind of in transition and changing a number of stuff with our business, um, I actually read a book, um, by a guy and I can't even, he, he's a very uh, well-known entrepreneur and I'm totally blanking on his name and the name of the book. Um, but he was talking about, uh, he grew a very successful yogurt company and he was talking about sourcing mm -hmm. and how important it is to ensure that the farmers and who you're purchasing from your sources um, are not just good sources, but that they are thriving and doing well and that they have longevity. 
and that's not just a feel good, that's good business. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, at the time that he was sort of creating this yogurt company, his whole thing was that most of his competitors were out there trying to find the cheapest um, mm. milk, you know, possible. And so without really looking at if I continue to do that, then I'm cutting off my own supply. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I'm a working. Race to the bottom. Yes, I'm working. It's a race to the bottom. I'm working in a way that will, I have to keep looking for who's going to sell me the cheap thing because I can't, the farmer can't sustain that. So they have to then go and do something else. And coffee is very much the same way. Um, we started recognizing that if we don't become intimately involved in the sourcing process, um, that we're constantly going to be, first of all, removed from that. Um, which is, you know, not where we wanted to be. We wanted to be able to differentiate our company by able to saying we know the farmer, not just in theory, yeah. <laughs> in actuality. So it diminished our, it would diminish our story and our actual differentiating point if we didn't do those things. But also, we want them to thrive. We we want to see them growing their family farm. We want to see them planting new crops. We want to see them experimenting. So. In many ways, all of that then benefits us, which then benefits our customers. So it, it is a harder road. It's a much slower road. We've taken 10 years um, to build the network of farming, you know, farming communities that we work with. Um, it takes years sometimes to build those because, you know, we can buy coffee from that region or from that country, but we're not directly buying it. And then, then we'll work and get closer to you know buying it maybe from a network and then he'll work and get a little bit closer you know and then finally like the congo is a great example um we just brought in our very first direct trade coffee from the congo and the congo for the most part we've done most direct trade um in south america and central america mm -hmm. countries um they're a little bit more politically stable <laughs> um there's a little more infrastructure in some of those countries and so um and they're a little you know in perspective they're just a little bit wealthier and so there tends to be more family farms mm. you know that we can connect with and purchase with you know on the other side of the equation you look at the continent of Africa and many of the coffee producing countries within Africa lack a lot of infrastructure um, have much more political instability you know who depending on who's in charge means you you know, can or cannot get your coffee out of the country. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we talked to farming communities that would send their coffee to go to port and it would be stolen by rebels, you know, along the way, thousands of dollars and, and that family's whole livelihood. So roads suddenly become important, you know, like you have to think in terms of all these things. We just think of them in terms of coffee, but if you don't well, have those aren't, I, I like, this is huge I apologize to interrupt, but like, no. that's something that right there, people, people who in this country who have never stepped outside of the walls of this country, really stepped, I don't mean go, went to Cancun, right? right? Um, like right. really gone outside the walls of this country, whether for business or pleasure, it's hard to wrap your head around things like that like how could this happen right you know because it's something that's for all the the faults and areas that we can improve in our country and in our culture i always would tell people take a trip around the world i've been right. to some fucking nasty places and right. like it's not to excuse wrongdoing in this country and it's not to say that there's not room for improvement 
However, having never left here, it's really hard to wrap your head around the idea that this farmer might put everything they have into this crop, put it on a truck, and then someone just takes it from them. Right. And then what what recourse do they have? Someone's right. like, tough shit. Yeah. If you have that, a in-state, you know, if your government is, is unstable, you know, like where are you going to go, you know, yeah. with that? And sometimes that stuff is even, I don't want to necessarily say government endorsed, but it's at least, it, they just look the other way. I mean, I, I remember distinctly being on the border of uh, Somalia and Djibouti and mm. the the police force, which is a paramilitary police force for, for Djibouti, they would take bribes from families trying to escape Somalia, sure. right? They would take the money, then fucking arrest the family when they snuck them over the border and right. drive them back to Somalia and drop them off. That's horrific. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and people right. think about that. They're like, oh my God. They're like, you know, I'm upset because someone said something mean on Facebook. Right. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? That To be honest, that's like some of the enormity of obstacles that many of these farming communities and families have overcome is really inspirational. And um, particularly, again, going back to the Congo and this, you know, our, our new direct trade with the Congo, um, the Congo, if you know anything about their history, they... Um, Lots and lots of political instability and rebel groups coming in and out. Mm -hmm. And um, so much so that they are sort of known as the rape capital of the world. And so um, we are working with a um, group of micro farmers. Many of them are women. And um, this, they are, they've overcome so much and they are employing young uh, men who were drafted as teenagers, you know, into these rebel groups, you know, yeah. and now they're bringing them in and having them farm with them. And it's like n new life. You know, their whole dialogue is to change um, the, to change the dialogue of Congo, to have a new Congo and a Congo that is known for producing a quality product, you know, instead of the rape capital of the world. Yeah. And I thought, really what cool. an amazing shift, you know, that mm -hmm. these people have embraced. And they're lovely, just lovely people. And we're very honored, you know, to be able to, this is our second coffee that we've brought in with them. And, you know, they're just so excited. You know, yeah. they're like, we have a video of one of the um, women that we're working with. And she said, it's so exciting to us to know that we produce this coffee and that it's already sold. You know, because we buy it ahead of time. So we purchase things ahead of actually, you know, we don't wait. So okay. we, we get a sample. We say we want to work with you. And then this is all part of our commitment, you know, to them. We commit to them. They commit to us. We have a contract between us. You know, so they know that they already have a buyer. They already know that we're going to bring it in. And yeah. that alone um, begins to develop our relationship so that there's more trust across countries and well, it's, it creates some stability for them in, in a stability. very unstable life which again exactly. is really difficult for for people in this country to understand how unstable your life is in certain parts of the world exactly. for a variety of reasons and it's really it's cool that you guys are able to be a part of that because without companies like yourself leading the way and going out and doing that it, it's just not going to happen and once you step in and you take the hard path you choose that you you choose hardship you choose something to be a little bit more challenging because it's worth it the juice is worth the squeeze right that's right you, you choose that <laughs> other people are like what are they doing that's interesting right how did you do that 
and then more people start to play in it. And then you start to see people's lives turn around because they're saying, well, you know, we don't just grow coffee. We also do this. Exactly. And you can, you know, there's a company, you bought me a pair of uh, flip-flops mm-hmm. from a, a company that does, I can't remember what they're called now. Do you remember? They employ mm-hmm. Afghani women. Yeah. Um, and those women, they hand-stitched these, like, beautiful leather flip-flops. And they use, uh, like, casings and stuff from... Oh, rounds geez. they like to to like adorn them and decorate just stuff that they find around so but sure. but they're employing all these young women they're teaching them how to how to like build and create a business and then they're selling this product and so things like that that are really innovative and they're certainly challenging like we said before it'd be a lot easier if you just get on the computer like we need 10,000 pounds of coffee beans from wherever right. and then you just get them and, and we can get stuff a lot cheaper yeah yeah <laughs> you know? it's faster um, cheaper less personnel it like exactly you, you know, know we've, we've chosen to work in a way that we value what they bring with what our farming sources bring to the table and we want to ensure that we show that we value it not just by telling their stories but also by what we pay them yeah and you know we it's a real business deal you know i i think that you know kind of out there with coffee some people think in terms of like um you know, is it fair trade? You know, are you guys um, fairly working with the farmers? <laughs> you know, and and I appreciate all those terms, and I understand that's a whole other topic. You know, where some of those terms come from, um, but we always say we're direct trade. It's a business deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't. We are. This isn't charity. <laughs> you know, we're not in there like, oh, the poor farmer. We're giving them, you know, some some money and doing a good job. I'm like, they are working very hard, and they work. They bring quality to us. We appreciate mm-hmm. the quality they bring, and we pay for it. And so, therefore, that to me, that's that values both parties. And well, that becomes empowering. Mm-hmm. It's super empowering, right? Yes. I mean, if, for us and them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they know if we continue to right. do what we're doing and we cultivate this relationship, we can. You, you said it before. Break this cycle that's of right. poverty. We can change not only their lives but their children, the future generations to come through it, which is. That's exactly. a lot of companies. Um, I, I, a lot of companies have this lip service in many cases, and in some cases, it's valid and true sure. around impact. We make positive impact. We do this. We do that. You know. And I was trying to. I don't know if I'm thinking of the same book that you're thinking of before. Hmm. And I also can't think of the name <laughs> now. It was like enlightened. Was it Chobani uh, yogurt? Yes. It was Chobani yogurt, but it it's was so there's a um Yeah, I can't think of the name of the book. It was a book either, and I, I He wanted, wrote a book, yeah. Um, I ate a lot of yogurt to get the book actually. <laughs> <laughs> there was some point system that you had to eat a bunch of yogurt and you got the book. So <laughs> Yeah. And had, I even saw him speak once. Um now I, I'm totally blanking on his name, but But you had these you had these companies that uh, like a Tom's shoes sort right. of thing that that have they plant the seed of this kind of um, enlightened entrepreneurship or the, the, where you're going to, you're going to put positive out. And that became a, a really kind of sexy thing for people to, to attach to. And there's a lot of companies that will, you know, they'll write out their missions. Like we, we're going to impact this and that and the other thing. And that's a great lofty goal. I often wonder how are you actually doing that? Right. Because if it's, well, we donate 1% of our profits to this, that might be a lot of money. Right. And it might be valuable to you know to whoever is receiving it. It's still a handout, right? 
And it's that's not the sustainable same process. It's right? not sustainable, and it's not the same. At any point in time, your profits go down, the money going to that person goes down. Or, or you go as out a company, of it, like, you could change your mind. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. To do that. Yeah, where what you guys are doing, you're you are empowering the people you work with. You're you're creating people who are proud and happy to be a part of this relationship. They right. feel like they can contribute. They feel right. like it's beneficial for them and you. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that presumably should just grow and grow and grow, which is far more valuable. It's the the quote, you know, give a man a fish or teach a man to fish, right? Right. You're you're teaching them to fish and now they can then teach their children and future generations to do that. And that's how you actually create change and impact, not just writing it on your website and right. donating a portion right. of proceeds, which is really easy. Writing a check is the fucking easiest thing in the world to do right. to make you feel like you're doing something with it. Right. Um, and whether or not you really are, who knows? I mean, how much of that is getting to them and what sort of sustainable and lasting change does it create? So it's just, uh, again, I'll say it, it's, it's inspiring that you guys have done that. It's really cool to hear about how close and how intimate the relationships are so that you can actually I imagine it has to be super fulfilling to see someone, you know, a farmer that you started working with six years ago and now they're in a totally different place with their home and their family and their farm and they're able to do certain things that, that were just, you know, maybe a dream. Before. Actually, we'd love it. Um, ben was able to go uh, last year, right before COVID hit, he went to visit. We haven't obviously done a lot in this last year, mm-hmm. um, but right before COVID hit, he was in Costa Rica and um, it was a particularly sweet trip Um for me, because he, it was the first time that he went to a farm with his wife and my granddaughter. And so, you know, I thought, oh, my, my, the five, she was five at the time. I thought my five-year-old granddaughter is at origin. <laughs> like that blows my mind and is just so great, you mm-hmm. know, that she is, that we're introducing this new way of working already. You know, she has such a, a very different view of the world. And I think you can start that out, you know, when they're younger and be mm-hmm. like, by the way, this is what the world looks like. You know, yeah. this is what is normal. And that particular farm was, we were their first direct trade relationship. And um, they have since gone on to win um, global awards for their coffee, really? um, which was th- was not there for them. And, you know, they've become a really well-known um, coffee farm within specialty coffee. And this is actually a very common story. We've seen this over and over again, where many of our farmers that we're working with have sort of then blossomed and gotten known in within the specialty coffee world and, you know, become very coveted. You know, we have some farmers that people are scrambling to try to buy their coffee, but since we were kind of one of their first relationships, they were, you know, still very small, <laughs> you know, in the big scheme of things when it comes to specialty coffee roasters, we're still, you know, kind of a small player. And, um, but they're loyal to us. <laughs> like, wow, yeah. you know, you're, they're loyal to selling to us because we were kind of in there working with them in the beginning. Awesome. So you know, well, that it's an investment, right? If you bought, makes me feel if really you bought happy. shares in Apple, yeah, exactly. You know, Twenty years ago, yeah, you're probably sitting pretty. If exactly. you're deciding to buy now, it's not going to go as far, you know. You and I think that's that's valuable when people want to. They want to know that they're supported and that someone believes in them, mm-hmm. right? Right, and and when you not only. Be, see that and believe it but you also it's demonstrated year after year over a period of time it's really difficult to be like oh, never mind we're good with you guys we're now we got all the accolades like right. you just it, that's something that 
generally is not going to happen with most people. They're going to know where they came from, where their roots were, what helped them get to that point. And again, going back to the, to the fact that this isn't just about warm fuzzies, that's also a very powerful business strategy right? for you guys to be tied into this thing that is a high quality product. It's working with people that you know and trust. And now you have this advantage that other people may not be able to have access to ever, right? depending on when they come into the game. And so Right. going back to it being it's beneficial to everything, <laughs> right. to, to all the different mm -hmm. parts and that they all feed each other and right. that they're not these, these separate entities, you know, it's really, uh, that's really cool. It's, I can only imagine like what that must be like to see that sort of stuff and having your granddaughter be able to go down and see it again. We have a culture that doesn't travel globally a lot compared to other nations. And so getting right. young people into other countries around different cultures and especially places that are not touristy, you know, basically Americanized locations within these other countries is that's a really valuable thing. Um, we have not had the opportunity to do that with, with our girls at this point. However, my sister is married to a Cuban huh. and he's, she, you know, he's working on his visa right now. And, um, and so she talks to him and she'll put him on, on the phone, on uh, FaceTime or whatever with the girls, like, oh, Uncle Andres wants to talk to you. Aww. And so the, the girls talk to him. They learn Spanish with her and with him. And, you know, right. he's got a little daughter. And, and they also get to learn. And we try to have these conversations with them. But I think it's, it's you know, it's difficult because they're young. Um, and it's also so very far removed from their life. They don't get to see it and touch it and feel it and experience it. Sure. Um, but they get to hear about how things are very different for him and his daughter. Um, you know, he was, I don't even think he tested positive. He was just exposed no, yeah, to COVID and he was essentially arrested him and his daughter and put into mandatory isolation in a one room cabin for like a week or so. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, they weren't even allowed to go outside. Yeah. Goodness. There's not. And, and so you see like, there's little things like that or, Hey, Hey guys, food shortage, you get half your rations. Right. Yeah. Things were not, right. it's not, it's not the same. And I think it's important, you know, we make it a point to talk to, especially Dylan, she's a little bit older to talk to her about some of those things. Well, it, it is a little bit different for them than it is here. And, and mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons that you were really lucky to have been just because you were born here and not, you right. could have just as easily been, been born in, in a place that's a lot harder for you to live. And my sister has done a lot of um, traveling it through Central and South America. Hmm. She'll go down and, and volunteer and do And she actually worked in, um, she's a mental health counselor. And so she worked for many years in a program that uh, they, they helped um, refugee, refugee children, children mm -hmm. mainly, right? Mm -hmm. That were being smuggled over the border. And so she did trauma assessments with them and counseling and all Goodness. this stuff. And, That's amazing. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. We talked to her on the show about some of these things. And, it's um, it's interesting to see because you're surrounded with a certain environment what your what you normalize and I think it's one of the things that's fascinating about human beings is we have this insane ability to adapt hmm. and because of that we have such a broad spectrum on what on what our lives can look like what we accept in our lives what we don't what we deem as fair, what, what feels like suffering. It, it like, there's a lot of, she would say that there was a lot of kids that would come through where on paper, if you were to compare their life to, you know, up here, here in the United States, you're like, this kid's got it 
be in hell. Hmm. They've got to be tortured with all this stuff. And they're like, they're, just like, they're actually pretty happy. Wow. They don't really know any better. Right? Sure. Right? And um, it, it's really interesting to see that. And I think it's valuable in terms of creating awareness and gratefulness around people in this country and specifically young people that can grow up with that and have some empathy to look around the world to be able to engage in that. It's so cool that your granddaughter gets to, you know, kind of be a part of this and just check it out. And, and I'm sure she's just like, I don't know, this is just cool. Right. I got yeah. to go to a, a different country and, you know, try right. some yummy food and I like, do all these things. And, and it'll be interesting to see as she grows up how much for her that's just normal. Right. Yeah. I just know people from all different walks of life. I've met all these interesting people. Yeah. She, she kind of speaks matter of factly. I have a map in my uh, office of, you know, where coffee is produced. And she, she looked at it one day and she goes, Oh grandma, that's Costa Rica. <laughs> you know, like I know, <laughs> I know things, you know, <laughs> I thought, yes, honey, that is Costa Rica. And yes, you do know things. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So she's awesome in every way. But yeah. That's, uh, that's really, uh, it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, and I, a, a quote just popped into my mind. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Jordan Peterson uh-huh. at all. Um, he, he's a psychology professor and, and a psychologist up in Canada who gained some uh, fame or a lot of fame after basically standing up to some political stuff in Canada a few years ago. And he's written a couple of books even prior to that, but since then, his more recent book that I was just finishing, he he had this statement in there about, uh, and I, I don't want to butcher it, so I don't quote it, but it was, we the uh, the burden that we're able to carry, if we choose to carry it, is unimaginable compared to what we can burden that's forced upon us, hmm. right? And so, like basically pointing out kind of like what you guys are doing, you you chose to do this more difficult or challenging path within your business but we've had a number of conversations it's never felt like this is something that you dread or that weighs on you despite the fact that it is arguably again on paper much more difficult to do but you chose it right you actively stepped Mm -hmm. into it and leaned into that difficulty or that challenge versus letting it come at you you know, and I think that's a really interesting thing for people to walk away with just generally speaking in life is when we when we actively choose to take on something that's challenging, something that's difficult, and we want that thing in our life, our ability to manage it, it, it skyrockets as opposed to being kind of falling victim to that same exact challenge being placed upon us. And it's a, it's a really interesting thing. It's one of the reasons that... Hmm that I wanted to bring you on the show because we try and relate whatever we're talking about to something that, Hey, maybe there's business owners that are out there and they're like, Oh, this is really interesting. But maybe it's just a random person, you know, (laughs) listening in in their car. And now they know a great place in Rochester to get some coffee uh, or to just order order online. online. Um, Joe Bean Roaster. (laughs) (laughs) But then they can shameless plug. Yeah. Shameless, shameless plug. Um, if, well, you, if you don't like like caffeine, the decaf is amazing. It is uh, amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. fitting. She's not a caffeine yeah. uh, person, but she loves the decaf. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's just, I think that's an interesting lesson that we talk to a lot of people about is the, that difference between choosing right. that difficult path and actively stepping into it. We are, there's certain things about human beings that I fundamentally believe that huh. that a lot of people 
uh, I think maybe we forget or we just put out of our minds. And, you know, one of those things is that we are deeply social creatures and we right. we need to connect with one another. It and is. this last year is, is clearly evident of that. If you right. look at the turmoil in our country around the world, you look at, you know, the, the rise of suicides and um, relapses and alcoholism, all this stuff that's happened because people were isolated in their homes for a year, right. you know, and the fear that surrounds that. And now this, like the feuds and the disconnect that people are having, they're just, there's a, a, such a lack of interaction, of human touch, of conversation, face to face, like all of those things. We are deeply social creatures. We are also beasts of burden. Mm. We get weaker and less productive and less happy the less we have to do, the less challenge we have in our life. Right. Right. We And it's, a, it's an odd thing. It's very counterintuitive when you think about it, but you look at people that actively seek comfort and they seek avoidance of challenging situations and they're more susceptible to all of these downfalls, whether it be, you know, their physical health, mental health, financial fallout, career, whatever it is, that person who actively seeks shelter from challenge, from burden, they tend to be far less resilient to those things. And inevitably, life will bring them to you. You don't get to just time out and like disappear. And, like nothing will, <laughs> no, nothing will find me, you know? And <laughs> right. so it's the more we step into it, the more we lean into those things, right. the stronger we become, the more resilient we become, the more right. lessons we learn, and the better we can show up for, for everyone around us. And I think right. that's indicative of what you guys are doing uh, from a business standpoint with your company. And, you know, I, for one, am a huge fan of it. Um, Thank you, I, Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I love the coffee. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I remember when I first said something about, I think it was when we were at P2 for something, and I'm like, hey, where's me go get some coffee? And someone's like, well, if you want to wait fucking 20 minutes, you can go down to Joe B. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> right? and, and now, fast forward, you know, first I went down, I'm like, this coffee is amazing. <laughs> like, now, fast forward, like, I... I make pour over with your coffee in my right. kitchen and I enjoy, we have a, a coffee maker, a drip coffee maker that we just keep in a closet that we bring out when her parents come up. Right. And outside of that, like there's a part of that, that it's it meditative. is meditative and yeah. it's a process and it feels like, and to your point about, you I know, it, your barista is being able to talk to customers right. and all these sort of things. Like, you can re even recreate that on your own. And that's not something I would have ever looked into had I not ever gone into right. your shop. Right. And, you know, and started like, oh, what is that? What are they doing? And then, because again, it doesn't make any sense. It can be a lot faster if I just put pre-ground coffee into a thing and just hit a button or set a timer so it's ready to go in the morning. Right. But instead, I get up and I boil my coffee and I grind and my beans. And our kids love and watching I, the process. And they're like helping. Right. Yeah, they mimic it on their water table. <laughs> <laughs> Trainers. I'm making you coffee. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> so yeah. I just I, like I just can't say enough good things. I just wanted to thank you for coming on because I think um, I think what you guys are doing is amazing, and I think it should be highlighted, and I think people should take lessons from it both within their business and, and their personal Aww. life. And um, yeah, we just we really appreciate it. Thank you. Before we check off, is there anything that you want to leave people with? Share. Uh, as we finish up here. Well, I can't help but um, on many of the uh, things that you were talking about, I, I just kept going back to, I, I literally wrote an email this morning. We have an email blast and I, it's Earth Day. And, you know, I'm thinking a lot about how we work and hope and, you know, many of these things. And I, I 
see if I can remember what I wrote this morning, <laughs> but I, I ended my email um, just by saying the world needs hope. And to me, um, hope comes when ordinary people are brave enough to work outside the norm. And I think that's what we're really seeing now is just this, it takes, it does take an intentionality um, to decide to move outside of what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's where healing comes. I think that's, you know, it's a little more vulnerable when we work outside of what everyone else is doing mm -hmm. or when we even choose, you know, to take that moment and speak to somebody that maybe we haven't spoken to or we sit next to them in a coffee place and we say, how you doing? <laughs> you know, I, I think that's a vulnerable moment. You know, we, uh, we've sort of over the years built our places to be have people engage one another physically sort of you know be able to sit next to one another and I yeah. think sometimes that felt a little vulnerable but I think those are the moments that breed hope I think conversations breed hope I, I, I really truly think that's how as a world even though we've had some brokenness I think that is where hope and healing comes in is when we choose to be more intentional about being human <laughs> and yeah. connecting so I love, I love that. that. Yeah. That's, a, yep. that's a beautiful way to, to end it. <laughs> Kathy, so. thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, be sure to head to joebeanroasters.com and check out everything that Joe Bean has going on. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at joebeanroasters. Uh, again, subscribe to the podcast. Let us know what you like what you'd love to hear in the future, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time on Our Human Experience. Thank you again for hanging in with us and listening to today's episode. Do us a huge favor. Help us out to spread the word. Subscribe to Our Human Experience share an episode with a friend, talk to someone about it, just help us spread the word. We want to get the message out and bring more interesting stories to more people. Thank you all so much for the support. We love you. We'll see you next time.